Welcome to Being Better Podcast, where we explore the things that make us happier, wiser, and more productive beings. Hi, my name is Julia, and I am your host. Every week, I take a concept, a technique, or a story to learn how it can make us better. I hope that this show can help you become the person you've always wanted to be. So, here we go. to the podcast or welcome back to the podcast and thanks for tuning in. I hope you and your loved ones are well and happy and that you have a great summer or winter depending of course on which atmosphere you are in right now. I am well thanks for asking. I have returned from Spain, I have returned to all of my responsibilities and I think it was a nice trip. I have practiced my Spanish a lot and I think I have improved and definitely you know I've been learning Spanish for four years something like that and I have not had the chance to speak it as much as I have in the past two weeks and that has definitely been an opportunity for me to improve and I think I have so If you are learning a language, of course, that's pretty obvious, but I will still definitely recommend these kind of trips where you don't have the optionality to not speak the language and you have to speak the language. And for my recommendation this week, I'm going to recommend you a book that I've been reading in the airplane and on various commutes (laughs) through Europe. And that book is Red, White, Royal Blue. And this is a novel, which I don't read a lot novels. And the book won the Goodreads Choice Awards in, I think, 2019. It's wildly popular. And I I am sure that you have heard something about it before. It has very good ratings on Goodreads, as you might expect. And it is about the story and the relationship between the first son of the United States and the Prince of Britain. And usually, I am, I don't know, I am, I like reading novels. I sometimes when I don't feel like, you know, reading a nonfiction history or psychology book, I reach for those, you know, romance type of books, but I don't do that very often. So I decided that since I have some more time and I was, you know, going and I was gonna fly a lot, I don't, I don't know, I decided to pick it up and see what all the fuss is about. And I've actually really, really enjoyed it. Um, first of all, I think I really enjoyed it because, like I said, it is not the type of the book that I usually read. Um, but I don't know, the, the author, which is Casey McQuiston, Casey McQuiston really had a nice way of adding a lot of pop culture and references into a book and I think she captured really well the characteristics of you know being in being young being in your early 20s and you know I think this is something that a lot of authors struggle to do and struggle to do accurately so I don't know I think this story is really sweet and wholesome and uplifting and I think it's perfect if you want to get out of a reading slum. I really recommend it to anyone looking for something positive and empowering. 
it's nice to read it because the world that the story is happening in is, you know, the the president is a woman and she's um I think she's a Latino woman and she's the first female president and you know of course the prince and the first son are are, are gay and I don't know it kind of feels nice but at the same time it, it feels kind of sad just because you know that this world is not real and you read about this beautiful world and these lovely characters and you kind of through that you can see all of the things that are not right in the world that we actually live in so I would really recommend it but right now I am kind of torn between you know thinking that it was really nice to see a lot of representation in that book and strong female characters and really lovely representation of pretty much all types of people. So I really enjoyed that and I enjoyed the love story, but I'm also simultaneously feeling that the plot was quite predictable because nothing really goes wrong in that book at least for a very very long time um, in the plot however yeah I would definitely recommend this if you you know want to pick me up and a bit of hope for this strange time and this strange summer and yeah so that is going to be my summer reading recommendation And I hope you will enjoy. The book will be linked in the episode description for anyone interested. And speaking of books, today I want to talk about self-help books and the lessons that I actually have learned from reading them. Because I have recently stumbled upon many, many, I don't know, maybe this is just a coincidence, but in the past couple of weeks or so, I've stumbled upon many people talking about how reading self-help books is useless and that these books are, you know, just a way for the self-improvement industry to make more money off of people who do not feel good about themselves. And I think these are valid arguments. However, However, I do not agree with the notion that we do not learn from these books. Because as much as I think that most of the books in the you know self-help section talk about the same basic concepts i do also think that a lot of them are very good sources of advice and you know of course if you are not present while reading that advice and if you don't take a conscious effort to put that advice into action later after reading Sure, there will be no positive effects of reading these kind of books. However, I think that if you find the right ones, and I will be recommending a lot of books today, so I'm sure that you will find something that suits you. I think if you find the right ones, and if you read the whole thing with an open, yet also with a critical mind, I think there's a lot of wisdom that can be found between the pages. So today's episode is going to be kind of an episode in defense of self-help books, because in my own experience, reading them has helped me a lot. And I'm going to talk about these lessons that I've learned, but also more generally, I think reading these books 
it has helped me put myself in the right mindset, mindset of wanting to grow, wanting to be more good to myself and to others and being in the mindset of wanting to learn because I think these books are basically about education and educating yourself about awareness and self-awareness and being good to yourself and self-care and all of these things that usually do not come naturally especially in today's world and I think just reading these kind of books can help you put yourself into the right mindset um, and I also want to talk about that you know the books that I'm going to talk about today are what I identify as self-help and also what the Goodreads app categorizes as self-help. However, I think that some of them might not come across um, as such at first thought. Oh, and also I think this is something worth talking about. I think we all have, you know, our preconceived notions and misconceptions about self-help books just because we have expectations in our head about what the typical self-help book is like. But I would say that a self-help book is just simply one from which you can learn something about growth in a psychological, physical or spiritual sense. A self-help book can even be a novel. For example, I would say that uh, Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist is often categorized as self-help. So I would say that a self-help book doesn't have to be a non-fiction book which whole content can be concluded by saying don't stop believing or be yourself or just do it. To be honest with you, I hate this kind of advice and these are not the type of books that I'm going to be discussing today. So do not worry, but also try to get rid of the misconceptions about self-help books that you have in your mind because I think that will help you learn more from them. So first I want to start with I think one of the most most popular self-help books which is The Four Agreements. I'm sure that you have heard about it and the lessons that I've learned from reading The Four Agreements is that I take everything personally and I care too much about what others think when actually what other people say about me or, or think about me is never truly about me. And let me explain. I think that nothing people say or do is personal, but you need to know who you are and like that to be okay with that. So one of those internal rules you should try to adopt uh, when it comes to the four agreements is to never take anything personally. Um, it is the second of the four agreements and I also I think it's the most powerful one. The thing is that nothing, absolutely nothing that other people and the world do or, or say to you is about you. When, you know, someone, for example, calls you ugly, it says a whole lot more about them and their problems than about you. So whatever issues they are dealing with has led them to take their frustrations out on you. And no matter whether it's true or not, when you take it personally, you have to acknowledge it. And that means that to some extent, you will also believe it. So... You should try to never take things 
personally. But I know that, you know, it's easier said than done and not taking harmful comments and setbacks personally is hard. But according to the four agreements, the only way to really make this habit is to become very, very self-aware and knowing deep down who you are, what your truth is and that you are good enough and that will allow you to stop seeking validation and acceptance. And I do kind of agree with that. But for me, the most important lesson here is that people actually do not mean the things that they say about you when they are saying something nice or when they are saying something rude most of the time is just because of the mood they're in or the kind of vibe that they want to you know give out to other people so for example some people want to be seen as nice and that is why they're nice and some people have a bad day and maybe they are jealous of you and that is why they're mean and I love people I love talking to people however I know that I should not rely with my sense of self-worth on them because it is very unreliable in that sense because people change all the time their their mood changes all the time and their opinion about you will change with every little choice that you make they will agree with some of these choices and disagree with some of these choices so that is the first lesson that I've learned from self-help books and the second one is from A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle and that lesson is that we identify so much with our body and our thoughts and our genders and our nationality or hobbies or or our work and And I think it is only limiting us and keeping us away from being our potentially best selves. So, you know, there are a lot of things that I loved about A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And there are also a lot of statements that the author made that I disagreed with. But I think there is a great opportunity in reading a book that you don't completely agree with. And I'm going to talk about that later. Um, But now I want to talk about the lesson that I've learned. And that lesson is that so many of our daily choices are made based on the fact that we think of ourselves in a certain way. For example, a person deciding on a career path might dismiss choosing neuroscience for example because they're a woman and they have been told their whole lives that in order to be a bright scientist you have to scientist you have to be a man and they believe that and they believe that being a scientist is just not an option they they will not even consider it and Tony writes that gender becomes identity and identification with gender is encouraged at an early age and it forces you into a role, into conditioned patterns of behavior that affect all aspects of your life, not just sexuality. It is a role many people become completely trapped in, even more so in some of traditional societies than in Western culture, where identification with gender is bringing to lesson uh, somewhat. For example, in some traditional cultures, the worst fate a woman can have is to be unwed or barren. And 
for a man to lack sexual potency and not be able to produce children. Life's fulfillment is perceived to be fulfillment of one's gender identity. The quicker you are in attaching verbal or mental labels to things, to people or, or to situations, the more shallow and lifeless your reality becomes and the more deadened you become to reality, to the miracle of life that continuously unfolds within and around you. So yeah, what I've learned from a new earth is that I am not my thoughts. I am not my body. I am not my gender and I am not the labels that I put on myself based on the activities that I do at the moment. So for example, I'm a runner or I'm a podcaster. I am not any of these things. There are Those are things that I identify with, but I shouldn't do that. Because these identifications do not really serve a purpose. I mean, identifying with these activities is biologically wired in our brains because it helps us make sense of the world but I think that they only restrict me and identifying with these labels prevents me from achieving my full potential as you know they just make me believe that I have fewer choices than I actually have so like I said if you believe that you shouldn't do x y or z because you are an x y and z person so for example you think that you are the artistic kid and sports are not your type of thing so you shouldn't even try it in that way I think these identifications that we use to make sense of the world and make sense of ourselves and to find communities they are somehow helpful but I think they do us more harm than good so this is the second lesson that I've learned and the third one is that timing in life matters a lot and that lesson is from outliers and I know that some people might not categorize outliers as a self-help book but I've seen it on Goodreads and I also think that even though Malcolm Gladwell is mostly like a non-fiction writer but I think the Outliers book is different from his other books. So in his book Malcolm Gladwell talks about how the time that you are born in can define the level of your success in a given area. For example if um, you were born at the beginning of the year in January or February, you are far more likely to become a professional hockey player simply because you just grew up being taller and bigger than your peers and therefore better than, you know, these people in your school or, or the little league. You are probably more confident because just your competition was smaller than you and thus you played better and your coaches paid more attention to you and also to your training and this is one of the ways in which timing really matters and what I've learned from that is that most of the time my success or my failure some percentage of that is just a result of these weird circumstances Sometimes my success happened because I was born into the right family or because someone else who I was competing with wasn't as lucky that day. 
And therefore, I think I shouldn't think too much and attach my sense of self-worth to what I view as failures or successes. Because timing matters a lot. And maybe just at this point in time, I cannot get a job as a, I don't know, a freelance photographer. However, there will be many, many more opportunities where my past experiences will be a huge advantage and I will succeed even though I cannot succeed right now. And who knows, maybe in a couple of years that freelance photographer position will become an opportunity again. And that is just because right now the circumstances are not helping me and are not propelling me. But when the time is right, that will become an opportunity. And also that has taught me that there are more ways to the goal that I want to get to. And maybe if one way that I was hoping I would get there is not available, that doesn't mean that another one will not help me get there as well as the other one. Another lesson that I've learned from self-help books is from Atomic Habits. It's a great book. I really recommend it to anyone who's trying to write, build a new habit. And that lesson is that the most effective way to write, change your habits is to focus not on what you want to achieve, but on who you wish to become. And environment is the invisible hand that shapes our human behavior. So environment design is so important because, you know, we all know that it is very, very hard to build new habits. And I think we all learned that the hard way. So whether you are trying to work out more or learn a new language or read more, I think relying solely on your own self-control and discipline is not a great tactic because humans are just driven by pleasure. And very often these new habits are not exactly pleasant. So instead of relying on discipline, I think it's far better to focus on optimizing our environment to make it easier and more enjoyable for us to practice these habits. In Atomic Habits, the author says that environment is the invisible hand that shapes human behavior and that despite our unique personalities, certain behaviors tend to arise again and again under certain environmental conditions. And in this way, the most common form of change is not internal, but it's external. We are changed by the world around us. So the central idea is to create an environment where doing the right thing is as easy as possible. And much of the battle of building better habits comes down to finding better ways to reduce the friction associated with good habits and increase the friction associated with are bad ones. So for example, let's say you are trying to lose weight. A way to make your environment work for you is to make friends who do sports often and who go for runs or go for hikes and that you will enjoy doing these activities with. Or if it's the other way around, if you are trying to break a bad habit, for example, if you are um, trying to, for example, spend less time on your phone, a way in which you can design your environment to help you with that is to create friction, to leave your phone in a different room when you are working or you can download an app blocker on your phone that will provide 
time restrictions with certain apps. You can delete social media apps from your phone. You can try to put books in a place where you usually keep your phone. So you can reach for a book whenever you crave your phone. Or you can set the screen of your phone to be black and white. I mean, there are so many ways you can use your environment to your advantage. And I think this is far more reliable than your discipline. And the last lesson that I want to talk about today is from How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I would say this is kind of an an unfortunate title and maybe not the greatest title. But well, um, anyway, that lesson is that there is no point in arguing with people if you want them to change their minds or to change them. And first of all, I need to, I feel like I need to say that There's no way to change someone or to change their opinion about something. You know, they can only do that themselves. And we simply do not have the power over someone's mind. And that is one very big lesson that I had to learn by myself through just years of being frustrated with people because of their idleness in the face of climate change or discrimination and all other problems that we face all around the world. I had to learn that people have to make their own decisions to change and the only thing that you can do is to be an example of why that kind of change is good. Um, But the thing is, this does not come naturally to me because, you see, I am a debater. I love talking and arguing and debating and just, you know, exchanging arguments with other people. It's It's something that has always made me energized and and satisfied. And that is probably because, A, I I think I am pretty good at it. And I often feel like I have won a debate, which, of course, is very satisfying and, and gratifying. And B, I think I suffer from a chronic illness that is called I am always right. I have so much faith in the things that I believe are true and I fight for them so much that I can forget what even is the point of that discussion. I can get so invested in a debate that I started just to help someone, to persuade them to take my advice. I can get so invested in that that I can hurt them actually and do the opposite of what I intended to. And that's why I am now making a conscious effort to avoid arguments, to stop being, you know, such a know-it-all and and stop needing to prove that my arguments and my beliefs are valid. So the last lesson that I'm going to talk about today is how to prevent a disagreement from becoming an argument. And Dale Carnegie in his book writes that There are nine steps that we can take to avoid these arguments. And I really, really find these steps useful. So the first one is welcome the disagreement. The second is distrust your first instinctive impression. I really, really have to work on that. And I think this is very helpful just to go in an argument and try to not trust your first instinctive thought about them and their arguments. The third step is to control your temper, and I think that is pretty self-explanatory. The fourth is listen first. The fifth is look for areas of agreement. The sixth is be honest. The seventh is 
Promise to think over your opponent's ideas and study them carefully. The eighth one is to thank your opponents sincerely for their interest. And the ninth is when you're right, try to win people gently and tactfully to your way of thinking, of course. But when you're wrong, admit your mistakes quickly and, and with enthusiasm. Because, you know, if we know that we are going to get rebuked anyhow, isn't it better just to beat the other person to it and to do it ourselves? So I have found all of these steps very helpful into stopping my instinct to argue with people and to get into debates that are pretty pointless. Because, like I said, arguing pretty much never makes people change their minds. You can show people that a change is good. You can be an example of why that change or why this argument has helped you or provide evidence. However, you will never have the power to change their minds. So this has been my favorite lessons learned from self-help books. But that being said, I think there are also a lot of self-help books that are really, really not great. And those are books that I would recommend not reading. And for example, one of these books is The Secret, which is a book about manifestation and the law of attraction. And as much as I believe that there is some psychological research regarding, you know, fake it till you make it and how it is helpful... I still don't think that you can attract a robbery of your house by just thinking about it. The books make such crazy statements sometimes that I wanted to throw it across the room. And those are examples of books that are really bad and you still will get across them sometimes. But I think there is still a lot of power and an opportunity for us when we read the books of authors that we disagree with. If you disagree with the book completely, then sure, don't read it. But if you disagree with some of the statements, just because, you know, you are a different person with different needs, it's okay. But I would recommend that you finish the book and not dismiss it just because your worldview is distinct from the authors. Even if it makes you feel uneasy... I think there's still an opportunity to learn about how other people think and and that will make you more empathetic and also you will be able to learn about what triggers you and why you don't agree with the author. Very often we get angry or annoyed but we don't really know why that is. We aren't clear on what it is that is making us feel uncomfortable with the author's statements. So I think there's a huge potential in disagreeing with a person that is giving you advice. It might mean that you already know the answer to your problem deep down and you know the answer and the one that the author is giving you is not matching the answer that you already know deep down, but one that you just for some reason kept dismissing. But of course, don't push yourself to read a whole book that you completely, absolutely hate. And I would say there are a couple of ways you can distinct a good self-help book uh, from the ones that are complete garbage. 
And I would say that self-help books are supposed to motivate or inspire you in your journey to a certain goal. And they should also provide insight on what steps you should take next and not just say, go and do this, but not tell you how to get there. They should prepare you for hard moments on your journey ahead because these hard moments and downsides will definitely happen no matter what the self-help book is about and lastly I think they should help you understand your own feelings and your own problems and understand how they might be different from the author's ones. Thank you so much for listening to this episode there will suddenly be no insight of the week but that is just because I have to get out of the place that I'm recording at because there's some construction here and it is a problem. But I think this episode was actually pretty long without that. So thank you so much for listening. You can always email me or DM me on Instagram. The links are in the episode description. I will be very happy to respond to your questions or just if you want to say hi, I love when you write to me. And I will speak to you in the next one. Being Better is edited and produced by Julia Spohr. If you want to learn more, visit the website attached in the episode description or visit our Instagram page, which you can also find in the episode description or by just searching Being Better Podcast. If you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do that. The first one and the best one is just to tell your friends and your family about the show, tell them why you enjoy it and why they might enjoy it as well. Another way to support us is to write a review, rate and subscribe to the podcast because that helps with the algorithm and that helps new listeners find the show as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I'll speak to you very, very soon.